This is the Erasing Shame Podcast, Season 3. Honest talk for healthy living, growing, and thriving. Welcome to a new episode of Erasing Shame. And on this episode, we're talking about truth and lies. My name is DJ Chuang, and I'm here with my co-host, Nancy Lee. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Okay, so how does shame relate to truth and lies? Oh my gosh, um, there's so much to it. And I think I've just really uncovered my own um, recognizing this past year of how much of a lie I've been living under my whole life mm. um, because of so much shame that I had carried my whole life and um, compartmentalized living. Uh, as well as, you know, when you carry lies, it basically is deflecting truth. So it's hard to really take in the good stuff as well, even relationships, mm-hmm. love, even connecting with, you know, your relationship with God. Um, yeah, so I really wanted to uncover that. And especially this past um, few months, I've actually been helping, you know, a close family member go through surgery and mm-hmm. months of testing and doctor visits. Um, he was believing the lie that the hospitals were just trying to make money off of him and sending him on lots of lab tests and doctor reports and seeing like 10 different doctors. But obviously we know that surgery is a big deal. So they're not necessarily out to get him for his money. They're just trying to do a good job (laughs) of getting, um, you know, the right sort of confirmation from every test to go through surgery correctly. But for some reason, there was such a lie that he was living under. And um, yeah, it's it's something that's very evident in a lot of the interactions that I see in my family members and in our community. But don't get me wrong, right? There's like pharmaceuticals, vaccinations, all that stuff. Like there's a money-making aspect of it, but he was obviously like in need of surgery. So this was something that was very legit. And um, to recognize that there was so much of a lie that he was living behind as well. Well, I know that I have some relatives that are uh, immigrant and from Asian cultures and they have a similar perception of doctors and dentists mm. that they're out to get more money. Yeah. And so, so they're very uh, suspicious mm-hmm. and they don't go to get their teeth clean every six months. And mm. they, they feel like they have to rely on themselves to take care of their health. Yeah. I don't know what to do with that. That might be like a cultural thing of, you know, healthcare in America versus healthcare in mm. other countries where, yeah, you know, there might be a lot of greed and, corruption as well. But in America, we know that our healthcare system is one of the top in the world, right? There's obviously not a need for, you know, them to just have more people come in um, to take care of sick patients, because there's like people out the out the line, there's the retiring baby boomer generation and healthcare is like one of the largest industries today. Um, outside of all the controversy, like I said, of um, the money factor with vaccinations and all the medication stuff, right? Um, I think really what it comes down to in in our context of when we talk about shame is what is the internal beliefs that's driving this, right? And there's a poverty mindset there that things were being done to him versus for him. So he was reacting to like, oh my gosh, I have to do this because there was a control sort of element of like, I need to do this because the doctors are telling me to do this for them. Um, They need to make money. That's why, right? There's an internal motive versus it's being done for him as in like, oh my gosh, I'm getting the best health care. They're wanting to take such great treatment of me. I didn't know that I had this issue as well. And they actually need to take a look at that to make sure that everything is not going to be interacting or interfering with the whole surgery process. 
So, you know, I mean, I think we do a lot of this our own selves and we have our inner critic and just we want to understand people's motives and agendas. But there's kind of another layer to that, I think, when we have shame of our inability to really trust people and face reality and really kind of self-assessing, is it my own reality? Is it something that's in my own head that I'm just feeling like this internal prison um, as opposed to wanting to be able to live freely with all the pros and benefits of the world that um, we see, but sometimes we can't fully access because of the shame or fear or thinking that that is hindering us. Oh, here's a thought. So shame, uh, we hold on to shame because we are believing a lie. Mm. We believe, um, we, we stay in shame because we believe we're alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we stay in shame because no one will understand me and people will judge me. Mm-hmm. We stay in shame because, um, because um, pe- people will hurt, people will uh, use that information to hurt me. Yes. So, yeah. so those are all uh, things that fester in shame. So I can see that aspect of it. And the second thing is um, when, when doctors, you're, you're talking about surgery and things that can be measurable. Yeah. And oftentimes uh, to uh, deal with shame, we, we talk about going to see therapists and psychology and psychiatry. And there's even more suspicion around that. Yeah. Of getting help even and showing like our weakness, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, I think really what it comes down to is the foundation of truth in our life. So what do you believe? What is your truth? Because if you don't have a truth that you're standing firm on, then you're going to basically believe anything and allow that to really rule your life. And that's also how gossip and slander and all the, you know, negative interactions also begin is because we just start to believe anything. Um, And on an internal sort of basis, it's more of a truth of foundation, integrity, character. So for example, if I don't have that truth in my sort of um, integrity and character of how I'm operating my business, then of course, other people are not going to want to trust me. And this is where the whole idea that you're saying that like, yeah, they are skeptical about going to doctors, right? And so it does come from an internal sort of validation first. And and when we don't have that in ourselves, it basically disconnects us from other people, our ability to trust others, leading to skepticism, feeling guarded, um, and then the isolation and shame that you said. Um, and we're just not living fully in the the level or quality of relationships that, that we deserve to have. Yeah. So how do we know that we're looking at things properly versus distortedly? I think... First of all, recognizing that it's not that we don't want to believe good things. We don't want to have a positive outlook on life, but because we carry a wounded spirit, it's trying to protect itself. And so when we take a look at psychology, right, most of our subconscious beliefs is really how we're living our life. It's not the factual, right, knowledge aspect of our brain. It's the subconscious things that's driving our behavior. And so one way to think about it, when I went through diversity training long time ago is imagine everyone's walking around with sunglasses, right? Mm. And those Mm -hmm. sunglasses are our filter. When we're Mm -hmm. experiencing the world around us, we all have sunglasses and the reality has to go through that distorted sort of lens before it has some sort of meaning to us. And a lot of it is um, actually created from our childhood when we didn't have any control over our decisions or thoughts. And we just took in beliefs from our parents or the world or how they were treated. And so I'd say from my, um, you know, understanding with psychology, there's two sort of theories that highlight a lot of this from when we're 
children, which is attachment theory. Um, basically, when you're a baby, you know, you want to have freedom to explore safely and have autonomy as a child. And you need to have trusting relationships with your caregivers or your parents and knowing that they will rescue you if you are in trouble or if you need them. Um, and when that doesn't happen, then basically you have a lack of trust with people, right? Also, another one called Eric Erickson's theory, which hopefully I will have um, someone come on for an interview that can kind of go through the whole psychology of that because it really delves deeply into the psychology of shame. But oh, that would, yeah. yeah, that's a lot of what I'm learning through um, life skills. But um, essentially, by one and a half years old, a lot of our critical learning progressions that are supposed to be established at this stage of our life, right? Because we all have different learning stages as uh, a child up through adulthood. Um, but if we don't overcome the ability to trust others up to one and a half years old, then basically we have learned now distrust. Mm. And that sets the foundation for our whole adult life. And it was something that happened from when we were you know, a toddler, an infant, when we had no control. It's so crazy. It's like the foundation of our whole adulthood and the wounding that we carry. But if we were able to successfully overcome that, for example, then um, hopefully the good things that would come from it would be you have hope, you can trust people, there's possibilities, you have freedom to explore and have independence, uh, find yourselves and, and live a free life, right? Um, but if a lot of Grow up in broken relationship and um, even some abusive family uh, members. Yeah. So that really uh, wounds a person in sometimes irreparable ways. Yes, yes. So it's not to say like we can't successfully have trust as an adult, but that just means we have to then work at it on the back end, right? It's a lot of life work and delving into. Um, you know, different healing or life coaching for my, my case as well. And, and it's true, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Um, they're continuing to project their own need for validation or their own hurt. Um, and this is where generational curses or lies get passed down generation to generation. Being second generation, yes. how have you seen this um, affect other generations or what is your hope? Um, well, basically you know, when there's generational curses, lies, bondage, right? It, it typically in the Bible talks about three to four generations to really break free of those. Um, I know that we haven't had it easy as second generation Asian Americans and our parents obviously um, were the beginning process of that. So us coming through as second generation, there's a lot of work that we've had to go through and um, confronting our pain and breaking free to healthier ways of living means that my children or my grand children right they're going to be fully free of it because of the work now that's going to continue to build that legacy of a better future a better healthier way of living um for them right even though maybe i've had to go through a lot of that sacrifice in our generation that they are the legacy of that mm. and um yeah the bible does have some uh, a lot of wisdom about how uh, we are as uh, in our human condition and I know we also have listeners that uh, may not uh, believe the Bible in the way that we do, and they come from different faith perspectives. But um, I think the truth is still there, yeah. that um, most obviously we, we see uh, alcoholism get passed yeah. down from generation to generation to generation. Yeah. 
mm -hmm. uh, both through the modeling and how it affects um, not so much genetics, maybe, but there's something that happens through that socialization. And in the same way, um, uh, uh, abusive relationships, um, codependency, mm -hmm. uh, other lies that perpetuate uh, from generation to generation happens quite a yeah. bit. Yeah. I mean, obviously, some are more acceptable than others. And all of those that you mentioned, they are, we know, inherently bad. But even performance, you know, it's been a coping mechanism, but it's socially acceptable. It's still bad, though, right? Because <laughs> we're still denying ourselves and we're still hiding our shame. And so what happens is if we have self-hatred and that self-rejection, we're constantly looking for external things to validate us internally. And that even stems from you know, where we're finding our sense of joy, our sense of self-worth, our identity. Um, so I've had to really think about that and really kind of breaking that down, right? For us, when we're relying externally on people to make decisions for us because we're doubting ourselves and we have lack of self-worth or confidence, then what also happens is when it doesn't work out, we're blaming others because we're not taking personal responsibility. Um, I work in financial services and I have clients and so people are always coming to me at my agency and they're telling me they have Asian clients or Asian people in Asian market. How do you get into the Asian market? Because it's a huge market and all the Asian consumers are skeptical. Why? Because they need things to be validated. They need proof. Uh, we're relying on others to prove something and basically show that there's validity there, that they can trust it even um, from society, right? If it's something that's like a brand name, it's got to be like a good brand name, right? Something that has status um, like a Mercedes or Benz or something like that before you know people can kind of trust the brand or people can trust you as a person so you know with authority figures or leaders and reputation it's so important in our community because they are looking for some sort of validation some sort of proof um, and I think also like pleasures right people like to travel or we love food Asian people love food uh, or entertainment kind of like the big show and that's basically our external sort of seeking of fun, joy, right? But it's it's temporary until the next big trip or vacation that we go on. Or what about um, external jobs, tasks, right? That define our identity, like being the good child, right? Doing obedient things, um, being the good cook, right? Instead of it being like a good person internally based upon moral character. And even... Wow. Yeah. I think more commonly, Asian culture really values the name brand colleges and universities. Yes, yes. Like it's got to have a brand recognition to it. <laughs> you know, Harvard or Stanford. Yeah. Uh, a lot about social status and reputation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think the other thing for me, too, was really identifying myself via other people. And a lot of us go by our family identity, which is why even in our culture, the family name is, you know, has more worth than your individual name. So it would be like Lee, Nancy, instead of Nancy Lee in Asia, right? Um, but we find our identity via our job titles, our career, our affiliation to activities or people, groups that we associate with. And um, I guess when I recognized this in my life and how I had been doing that with my career and living under a big lie, um, I basically realized that it was an idol in my life. And I didn't really know who I was as an individual in the core of who I was as a person. Um, you know, all the other things that I've kind of 
talked about, I've, I've kind of thought about, and you know, they're, they're temporary, but if we don't love ourselves first, we don't have that sense of self-worth, independence, internal validation. We're always going to be seeking for something external to ourselves, right? Uh, but when we do put in the work to have that internal validation and self-worth, we can still enjoy the benefits of community and collective living because that's a beautiful part of being an Asian community. But the key is not to let them define us or let all the pressure or the expectation really take hold in our life because it's something that should add to it, not basically define it or take it over. Right. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a pretty hard concept to, um, to, to learn uh, how to practice. So what have you found helpful to (laughs) set boundaries and to begin Mm -hmm. uh, finding yourself and um, realizing your worth? Yes. Boundaries is a hard one, but, um, in Asian culture, there is no boundaries. <laughs> boundaries are kind of set by the family, but in America, it's official boundaries. And so learning to set healthy boundaries, it's definitely a process, but it's very important. Um, you have to learn. I, I remember Andrew Min, his episode about perfection, right? Anything that has the word should, right? It's a very unhealthy expectation over your life. But learning mm-hmm. your needs. What are your needs? Both your good side, your bad side. How do you manage and guard that? There's a lot of different, you know, books out there that can kind of talk about learning to set boundaries and stuff like that. But really learning about yourself and what you need as a person, first and foremost, is so important. Um, but when I recognized all this in my life and I began to shed the weight and the lies of that, it's it's not easy. Like you said, there was a deep grieving process, a loss, mm-hmm. because yeah. so much of that was part of my identity. That was a big lie I was living over my life. And um, can you can you estimate how long that took? Oh, I'm still going through it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've overcome. Well, how, how long has it been as you've worked on this? I think it has been six to eight months now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but Very I good. mean, I'm over the hard patch, right? Yeah. Good. Um, I think it'll still be an ongoing journey because we're also constantly trying to get better, but recognizing that for the first time and recognizing when I was just reacting to the world instead of feeling like I had control of my life. Right. And constantly just being put in positions where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I didn't like how I carried myself in that conversation or who I was in that um, environment or that experience. And I don't want people to experience me in that way. Right. What can I do about it? That's when I started recognizing that I needed to take control of my life. And, um, you know, we talk about old wineskin, new wineskins in the Bible, but really the best example that I found when I went through that process was a blue crab scenario, because we all talk about blue crabs and they shed and they're soft shell crabs that we like to eat because that's when they're vulnerable and they're basically able to be attacked. And, you know, we eat them as food because their shells are defenseless. Um, when crabs are molting though, and they're shedding their layers they're growing into bigger shells or exoskeletons. Um, That's the process that I had to go through and recognizing that even though I was shedding this lie over my life, this identity that I carried, that I'm building greater capacity for bigger things in this world. And on the other end of it all, it's going to allow me and it has allowed me a greater ability to give love, to receive love, to have greater acceptance of myself as well as self-love. So 
obviously it's a process of getting to that and we're never going to be fully there, but the more that we can really start getting in tune with our inner self and shedding any of those unnecessary lies that we've carried, the more in alignment um, we will be in being able to live our best life. Yeah. Great. I'm so glad you're on this process. And have you found other people to be helpful in your process and processing? Oh my gosh, so much of the people that are connect, are connected to this type of work, right? Talking about um, inner healing and shame stuff. I think we've come through that process of really asking ourselves those hard questions as well. So I think that's been helpful to just start tapping into people who are um, going deeper in their own journey of self-identity. Yeah. Cause, cause uh, it, it sounds like uh, from my experience, from what I'm, I think I'm hearing is that it's not something that we can just do ourselves, uh, read a book mm. or listen to the podcast and then we can be on the journey. Uh, we, we need to have some people alongside of us, whether that's a community yeah. or whether that's a life coach or a therapist yeah. or a mentor or something else. Yeah. So we've talked about therapists before. Uh, I think you're using some other, um, I guess they call it <laughs> modalities or some other programs that have helped you. Well, actually, through this whole journey with Erasing Shame, and I've never ever in my life um, gone through this experience, but I recognize I'm like, I should probably go through therapy. So I have started mm. that process. I had my first appointment this past month. <laughs> so I've never walked through it. I don't know what the whole process is, but I'm just being open mm -hmm. to it. I'm like, well, maybe this will be a good thing. And whatever is still in there, I've got to right, process and get it out. Um, I think for me, though, just recognizing that, you know, it is important to have community, right? Living life mm -hmm. in community, we're not supposed to do things on our own, as well as it's such an important accountability piece, right? Knowing that you're not alone and someone is actually, like, expecting you to make progress <laughs> right? and move forward into a healthy version of yourself or the person that you're seeking to become. Um, so I think the first step, like we talked about before was just acknowledging that, you know, you want to change, right. And that it's your willpower that first changes and, and leaves space for things to shift in your life. Uh, for me, um, I didn't grow up as a Christian. So identifying my truth and my truth, right. Is the truth that comes from the Bible. So things like I am wonderfully and fearfully made. I am made perfect in his image and God's image. He knit me together in my mother's womb, right? Those things have really helped lay a foundation for my life because it just basically helps remind me that I was not a mistake. Um, mm -hmm. I was made perfect because God is perfect. And so everything else I can base on that truth, right? So what is your truth? Um, and then the second thing I think that's really helped me is follow your heart. And mm -hmm. I don't mean that in the sense of, right? go act a fool <laughs> and, and live in foolishness uh, or just uh, laziness out of lack of discipline or anything like that. Uh, because there are also things in the Bible that say, right, don't follow your heart in that regard. But what I mean is understand the core of who you are, right? Because you have a certain desire or love for things that God has put inside of you. That's made you wonderful and unique, your own goals, your own strengths, right? That um, you have to be attuned to, right? It's part of instinctually who you are and the strengths that you carry. So knowing yourself better and kind of like these personality tests that we talk about and go through, um, even recognizing that 
you know, if you are doing the things that you love, that it's bringing you back to a greater awareness of yourself and living in authenticity to that. So one of the things I got to do, for example, is last year, I was so fortunate. I got to travel to three different international mission trips. And that's always been my heart uh, is to work with the less fortunate third world countries, uh, education, things like that. And um, being a workaholic for so many years, it really brought me back to a place where I can soften my heart, come back to my humanity and just be true and authentic to who I am and um, the things that I was made to do versus just reacting to the things that I felt like I needed to do. Mm. But we're cheering you on. It really, <laughs> it, uh, really, really uh, rejoice with you that you have uh, come to this realization and you're doing the hard work mm-hmm. and you're uh, willing to accept help because that, that's, even that part's not easy for us as, as a, well, particularly as you mentioned, high, high achievers. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in our line of work, it's called like high functioning, right. Um, like anxiety or something like that. Um, Cause it looks like we have it all together, but underneath there's a lot, there's a lot that needs to heal. So I, okay. I guess that would be another point is giving yourself <laughs> space and permission <laughs> to step into uh, seasons your, of your life where you can go through deep, deep healing, right? Uh, body, mm. mind, spirit. And then, like you said, with the right people in the right environments, there are so many programs, but you want to find the right one that's for you. And even if that requires having a mentor or a life coach, I've worked with life coaches, for example, they will help walk you through that. People that have the best intentions for you that can support you and also mm. show you healthy examples of what it's going to look like on the other side of all that work so that you mm. can something to cling on to like a vision for your life to work towards without continuing to kind of be self-defeatist right so yeah those are some yeah. of the that worked for me <laughs> and that's wonderful thank you for sharing all of that and that kind of brings us back to the very beginning of this episode how, how can we uh, begin to trust because uh, when uh, as you were describing some of your relatives have a difficult time trusting that doctors mm-hmm. are for them and they want to help in the same way, these life coaches and therapists uh, want to help um, with the, um, getting getting better emotionally and mentally, and also in turn that affects your physically and your whole being. And yeah. so, um, it's it's worthwhile work, and mm-hmm. we encourage people to do that. And there's no shame in doing that. Yeah, and then yeah, it's also wise. I think it's also wise to know that some people will just never change. And so Mm. the way that we can bring change on this world is for us to be an example of that change. So without just continuing to feed into that, right? Knowing our healthy boundaries, what we can or what we cannot change, and then just doing what we can, what's within our control. Um, For example, I guess I'll just highlight it on it briefly, but it's like when the Me Too movement came out, And everyone's kind of going through this acknowledgement, right? Um, In my mind, I was like, that's like the whole Asian shame-based culture. Like, me too. Like, I've experienced a lot of this oppression. And instead of, for me, just continuing to say, like, yeah, I I feel this way. And I know there's a point of acknowledging that, accepting it, and processing the emotion around it. But I'm like, well, what can I do to change it? Crazy Rich Asians had to cast people from all over the world because there were not enough Asian actors. Right. So if they're not even enough people entering into these different things that we want to see the Asian community be forward in, then we have to be that change. 
and through time, right, we're going to have more examples of success and more examples of role models to really glean toward and more examples of healthy, healthy living to also pursue in our life so that we're not the only ones feeling like, oh, my gosh, I can't relate. I don't belong. My problems are, are my own and I live on an island, right? So, yeah. Thank you. And that's why we're doing this podcast every <laughs> week. We want to share real-life examples of real-life people. Uh, who are not necessarily experts, but we're just um, like normal people trying to <laughs> pay the bill and trying to grow. And uh, we want to let people know it's okay to get help and uh, it's okay to learn from each other. So um, we thank you for watching this and, or listening to this episode of Erasing Shame. Mm -hmm. And we are making it as easy as possible for you to reach out to us. Yes. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. We're certainly on YouTube channel. We're on the web and we're on podcasts. So those of you that are on iTunes, please rate us so that other people can find us. And we even have a new hotline yes. that uh, Nancy has set up and you can text in, send an image or send a voicemail anonymously. And then um, we can, you know, give you a word of encouragement we'll keep it all confidential. So you can find the number on the website. And if Nancy has it, she'll say it real quick. Yep. 619-493-0597. Again, 619-493-0597. Excellent. Very good. So until next week, we'll, uh, we'll be online awaiting your call. Have a good week. Bye-bye. you. Bye. Thank you for being a part of Erasing Shame. Please rate and review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, and like on Facebook. Share with your friends and followers. Together, we are Erasing Shame, one story at a time. Get all the details at ErasingShame.com.